Well, good morning. Good to get to worship with you today. If you're new here, I just want to say welcome. My name is Fred. I'm one of the pastors here. Thank you for coming and checking out Redemption today. Hope you enjoy the service with us. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the last book of the Bible, uh, the book of Revelation. We're going to look today at chapter 12. While you're turning there, just uh, a couple of things that, that I want to mention, some announcements. You see that we uh, have the shoe boxes out again this week. If you weren't here last week, uh, this is a really cool ministry that we get to be a part of. Basically, the, the, the short version of it is we fill these boxes uh, with gifts and items for children, and then they get sent around the world through a ministry called Samaritan's Purse along with the message of the gospel. And so it's a great way for us to reach people that otherwise we would not be able to reach, oftentimes in hard to get into countries. And so uh, if you wanna participate in that, you just take a box, all of the instructions are in there. If you have any questions, you just reach out to us and let us know. Uh, there is one thing that you can skip that they will tell you to do in there, and that is there's a $10 donation suggested per box to handle the shipping and processing and just getting these out across the world. Uh, in honor of one of our church members who passed away this, this year, uh, we are, as a church, sponsoring 250 of those boxes. And so 250 is actually how many we've put out. They're all out now. We had about 150 out last week. Most of them went and we put out another 100 this week, and so would love to get those out of here. If you uh, and, and can make a donation of any number, one, two, three boxes, whatever you can do, that would be fantastic. Otherwise, we're just gonna have Joanne put that box on again next week and walk around <laughs> and harass everybody. So if you can help us out, I'm sure Joanne would appreciate it, but... Uh, we're very grateful to get to participate in that ministry, especially in uh, Amy's honor this year. And so uh, skip the $10 fee. We got that covered already. Also, and I know we're kind of, we're kind of double dipping here a little bit, but this is, this is the time to do it. We are doing our annual Thanksgiving outreach. And what we do for this is basically, uh, if you want to participate, you sign up. You'll see the information in, in the brochure that we gave you on the way in. There's a QR code that you can scan there to sign up. And uh, you're volunteering to take a Thanksgiving meal, unprepared, just the items, uh, to a family in need in our community. We're hoping to serve 50 families in our community here. And so you've got an opportunity to impact people around the globe, and we've got an opportunity to impact people right here in our community. And so if you wanna help with the Thanksgiving outreach, there's a list of seven items that we encourage you to purchase, and we have uh, redemption bags that you can put all of that in, and then because you signed up online, we will connect you to a family in the community. We have them sign up to receive a meal, and then you deliver that meal, and um, there's even an option, well, I won't go into any more details into that, because I don't wanna overwhelm you with information. It's all out there, there's a table with black bags on it, that's where you go to sign up, or to get more information, you sign up online for the Thanksgiving outreach, and so, those two things, like I said, I know we're kind of double dipping here, but listen, these are opportunities we don't have in March or in June or in August. This is the time of year where these opportunities present themselves. So I encourage you to be generous. I encourage you to do whatever you can within your means uh, to help us reach others. Finally, our, our CIA group, we have a very active group of 55 and older folks here at Redemption. They do a lot of ministry things together. 
they're having a meet and greet coming up real soon and there is uh, some information um, next to the kitchen, there's a little round table just like this one that has their newsletter and information on it. If you are in that age bracket, strongly encourage you to get connected to that ministry as they do so many great things here at Redemption. And it's just a great way, the meet and greet is a great opportunity to, to build some closer relationships, to get to know some of the folks that you worship with each Sunday. So uh, if you're in that age bracket, we'd love to have you participate in that. Lastly, we had an incredible worship night here on Wednesday. I'm so sorry. If, if you didn't make it out, I'm sorry. We, we just can't reproduce that. Uh, it was a really, really great uh, event and just a great night of worship. Um, I can't wait till we do that again. And so those of you who came out, thank you. Also, last weekend, uh, we had a pretty significant event here that you may not have heard about, and we hosted about 50 youth ministry leaders from the Western Pennsylvania area, and Pastor Marty and his team put on a great conference pouring into those youth leaders, and so just wanted to, to make you aware of that because God is really doing some great things here, and I'm very blessed to be a part of what God is doing, and I hope you feel that way as well. Okay, with that, let's go to Revelation chapter 12. I'm gonna read, I'm just gonna read the whole chapter to begin with. After I read it, uh, we'll pray and we'll jump in, dig into this a little bit. Last week, we kind of, if you're new here, uh, okay, you picked a good Sunday to come. <laughs> this is actually a great, great text. Um, but Revelation is unique. It's apocalyptic literature. It is about it is about the revealing of many unseen and hidden things. And it does so in, in fantastic language and dramatic language. And so uh, as, as if you're new to Revelation, just enjoy as we read. We're gonna talk about dragons and wars and all kinds of cool stuff today. Chapter 12, verse one. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in labor and agony as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. There was a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and 10 horns and on its heads were seven crowns. Its tail swept away a third of the stars in heaven and hurled them to the earth. And the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that when she did give birth, it might devour her child. She gave birth to a son, a male, who was going to rule all nations with an iron rod. Her child was caught up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God to be nourished there for 1,260 days. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels also fought, but he could not prevail. And there was no place for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was thrown out, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the one who deceives the whole world. He was thrown to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have now come. Because the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been thrown down. They conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony for they did not love their lives to the point of death. Therefore rejoice you heavens and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has come down to you with great fury because he knows his time is short. 
When the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that she could fly from the serpent's presence to her place in the wilderness where she was nourished for a time, times, and half a time. From his mouth, the serpent spewed water like a river flowing after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth helped the woman. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the river that the dragon had spewed from his mouth. So the dragon was furious with the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep the commands of God and hold firmly to the testimony about Jesus. The dragon stood on the sand of the sea. Would you pray with me as we consider God's word this morning? Father in heaven, again, we come humbly before your word. There are, there are things that, that men and women alike have wrestled for ages to comprehend and to understand, and so we come humbly. Yet we come confident that your Holy Spirit dwells within us and works among us here today, and that you desire to speak, to be heard, and to be known. You desire to reveal to your people what is hidden. So God, would you do that today? Would you make clear the truth of this testimony? Would you make clear your word in our hearts and in our minds that we might grow in obedience to you, that we might prepare this earth for the return of Jesus, our Savior. For it's in his precious name we pray, amen. I wanna look at this text in terms of three scenes. This is kind of a popular way of, of breaking down chapter 12. Three different scenes that play out here in this book. And they're, they're, they revolve around three main characters. And so we'll look at those as well. But if you have the handout that we gave you on the way in, you wanna take some notes and follow along today, we're gonna jump into that. The first scene that we see here in this text is the dragon's war against the sun. We're introduced to a dragon who desires to devour this male child that the woman is pregnant with. And those are our three characters. Uh, the, the woman, very clearly here, represents the people of God. The, the woman here is probably if you, if you wanna split hairs and get very specific, would represent the nation of Israel. It is from the nation of Israel that the Messiah comes. And, and you say, well, doesn't the woman represent Mary? And you know, there's things here that I'll show you in a moment that just don't fit Mary. Uh, that might be the most natural place to look. Mary is a woman, she gave birth to a son uh, that fits the description of the son here. Uh, but this woman is a larger group of people. It's, it's the nation of Israel, or at least faithful Israel, the people of God. Verse one says, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. This is the language of Joseph's dream in the book of Genesis, so here we are in the last book of the Bible. We have this reference back to the first book of the Bible and that's because what we have taking place here covers the entire redemptive history of God's plan. This, this chapter describes the fulfillment 
of promises that began in the book of Genesis. This great sign that appeared in heaven points to Joseph's dream in Genesis chapter 37, verse nine. Joseph, let me, let me just back up a little bit here. Abraham was the man that God called to begin the nation of Israel upon, upon whom he would place special blessing and, and intend to reveal himself to the nations and eventually to send his son through the offspring of this nation. And so the nation begins with Abraham. Abraham has a son named Isaac and Isaac has a son named Jacob who becomes, whose name becomes Israel. Israel has 12 sons, okay? You don't have to memorize that family tree. Not that it's overly complicated, but that's not the point here. One of those 12 sons named Joseph has a dream. Has a dream that gets him into a lot of trouble with his brothers. Says in Genesis 37, verse nine, then he had another dream and told it to his brothers. Look, he said, I had another dream. This time the sun, moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. This is what prompted Joseph's brothers to sell him into slavery. And Joseph would eventually end up in Egypt. And then because of famine, his brothers and his family would then migrate to Egypt uh, to survive where they would be enslaved for 400 years until God sends Moses to deliver them via the Exodus out of Egypt back into the promised land. That's, that's a 30 second version of the history of Israel up until that point. But, but the point here is that in, in Revelation chapter 12, we have this same language. These 12 stars are the sons of Israel. The, the, the sun and the moon are the language that Joseph used to describe his dream. And so for that reason and for, for many other reasons, it seems logical to conclude the woman is Israel. The woman is is the one clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. John would know that. John would know that his, his audience would be very familiar with that language and know where that came from. But verse two, as we continue in Revelation 12, verse two says, she was pregnant and cried out in labor and agony as she was about to give birth. And as she is about to give birth, there is someone waiting for her son. That someone is the dragon, who later on, I think in verse nine, we're not gonna look there, uh, is explicitly uh, described to be Satan himself. And so you've got this son being born from the people of Israel, through whom the Messiah comes, that then Satan, the dragon, waiting to devour, waiting to destroy, to consume. And listen, that goes back also to Genesis, because you may remember in the Garden of Eden, after Adam and Eve fell, God uh, is pronouncing curse upon Adam and Eve and upon the serpent, Satan, who was there, who tempted Adam and Eve. And one of the things that God says is that there will be enmity, there will be, there will, there will be conflict between the seed, the offspring of, of Eve and the serpent. And so here we have, again, this ongoing conflict between Satan and the people of God, this ongoing conflict between Satan and the offspring, the seed which would come from Eve, which would come from Israel, who is sent into the world to deliver mankind. 
So verse three says, then another sign appeared in heaven. There was a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and 10 horns and on his heads were seven crowns. Its tail swept away a third of the stars in heaven and hurried, hurled them to the earth. This seems to be a description. We know that Satan is, Satan is a created being. We talked about this last week. Satan is not an all-powerful being. He is, he, he, is, he is not, in terms of God and Satan, it's not two uh, opposite forces of good and evil going to battle and we're hoping the good one wins. There's God and there's Satan. He is under God's sovereign control. He was created as an angel of light. He was created as one of those to worship God in heaven in eternity. And he rebelled against God. And this appears to be a description of the other angels that rebelled with him. A third of the stars in heaven, I take to mean a third of the angels who were there worshiping in heaven who rebelled with Satan. And they have been hurled to the earth. So the next part of verse four, verse four B says, and the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that when she did give birth, it might devour her child. We're coming up on Christmas time. And as you read the Christmas story, hopefully in your devotional readings this year, you're gonna come across a very difficult and upsetting story that at the time of Jesus's birth, Herod, who was king of the Jews, became very jealous because people were saying that the Messiah, the Christ, the one who was born to be the next king of the Jews, was born. And Herod issued a command in the region that Jesus was born to have every male child who was two years old and younger murdered. And this is a horrible story of the depravity of man, of of man's envy and jealousy and unwillingness to submit to God's rule. And, and Herod here we see is under the influence of the serpent of Satan. The dragon stood in front of the woman who's about to give birth so that, so that when she did give birth, it might devour the child. Satan, Satan works through human actors to carry out his will. This was the influence that Satan had upon Herod. He took Herod's sinful desires, his jealousy, his paranoia, his lust after power, and he, he, he encouraged and he manipulated Herod to kill innocent children. And yet Jesus survived. He did not succeed. Herod did not succeed, and ultimately Satan did not succeed. And that brings us to the son. Who is the son? Well, the son here is very clearly Jesus. We know he's Jesus because verse five says, she gave birth to a son, a male who is going to rule all nations with an iron rod. Her child was caught up to God and to his throne. This is amazing because you have here probably the briefest summary of Jesus's some 33 year earthly ministry. <laughs> he was born, she gave birth to a son, and then next thing you know, he was caught up to God into his throne. So we have his birth and we have his ascension. Why does, why does John skip over his entire earthly ministry? Why does he skip over the crucifixion? Well, likely because the, the point of the story is that he did, was not devoured by Satan and that he is now the one who is 
in the throne room of heaven at God's right hand. He is with God on the throne. And so that's the focus. And obviously John had written an account of Jesus's earthly ministry and felt no need to elaborate here. So the point is, she gives birth to this son and then we, we jump ahead to his ascension. The main point of this whole scene, scene one, so you've got the three actors now. You've got the woman, the dragon, and the son. And what we need to know, what we need to take away from scene one is that born, this is the next thing you'll see on the handout, born is the one who will rule over the whole world, Jesus. The point of, uh, uh, of scene one, the whole, the whole message is that this son has been born. The promised Messiah, the one whom prophets have been prophesying about for hundreds of years. The one that, that God foretold of in Genesis chapter three, verse 15, the very first two human beings to ever live heard that there was going to be a child who would conquer Satan. He has been born. That's the good news of scene one in Revelation chapter 12. Then it concludes with this in, in verse six. The woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God to be nourished there for 1,260 days. We'll come back to that number when we get to scene three and I'll take a stab at explaining it. Scene two. Okay, so scene one, the point is that the son is born. We're introduced to the three main actors here, the three main characters, and we're introduced to the main point, the birth of the son. Scene two is now we, we jump to a new setting in heaven and we see heaven's war against the dragon. If scene one can be described as the dragon's war against the sun, scene two is appropriately heaven's war against the dragon. Verse seven says, then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels also fought, but he could not prevail. And there was no place for them in heaven any longer. So you have this amazing battle take place. A battle like no other. A battle between, not, uh, we're not told here that God intervened and fought. This is a battle between created beings. This is a battle between Michael and his angels and Satan and the angels who chose to follow him. And we're told that the result is there was no longer any place in heaven for Satan and his angels. But here, here's what you need to know. Daryl Johnson said this, commenting on this passage. He says, the battle is won not by, this is on your handout, by the way. The battle is won not by Michael and his angels in heaven, but by the son on the cross. The battle taking place in heaven between angels seems to come to a stalemate, but he could not prevail. But simultaneously, while this battle in heaven is taking place between angels, there is a battle that is being decisively won on earth. And the, the decisive battle, the decisive victory that is being won on earth is that Jesus Christ is defeating death. 
He is defeating sin and ultimately he is defeating Satan as he is crucified on the cross. It's amazing because Satan thinks he's winning. Satan rejoices at the crucifixion of the son. He rejoices because what he, had tried, what he tried to accomplish at Jesus's birth through Herod is finally being accomplished. And it's being accomplished at the hands of or at the request of Jesus's own people, the ones that, he, that gave birth to him whom he came to save. And Satan is rejoicing. And then on the third day, it becomes clear that the cross was not Jesus's greatest defeat. The cross was Jesus's greatest victory. And on the third day when he rises from the grave, Satan understands fully what has just happened. He has not only lost the battle, he has lost the war. There remains no other way that he can stop God's plan of redemption. As Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. And so there's this war. There's this war that that erupts in heaven that results in Satan being banished from heaven along with the, the angels who had fought alongside of him. And now... Satan's focus has shifted. Understanding he can no longer win the war, he's, he's going to inflict as much damage as possible. He's going to do as much harm as he possibly can. And so now Satan is active in the next thing you see on the handout, deceiving the world and accusing the believers. This is his present focus. This is where he is placing all of his attention and energy. He exists now to deceive the world and to accuse the believers of Christ. He, he exists now to stop men and women from believing in the gospel. And he'll do that any way that he can. He'll do that through false religions. He'll do that through secularism and atheism. He'll do that through all kinds of means. Any means that he has at his disposal, he exists to deceive the world. Verse nine of chapter 12 says, so the great dragon was thrown out, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the one who deceives the whole world. He was thrown to earth and his angels with him. Then I heard, let me stop there. Have you noticed we live in a world that is deceived? We live in a world that has bought into the deception that Satan has brought upon it. We live in a world that is so confused. We live in a world that does not know right from wrong. We live, not only does not know right from wrong, but confuses wrong with right and confuses right with wrong. That's because of deception. That's because of the effective work that Satan has been carrying out for the last 2,000 years since he lost the war through Jesus Christ crucified, resurrected on the third day and ascended into glory 40 days later. Since he lost that war, his goal is to keep people from seeing that. 
His goal is to, to pull the wool over the eyes of all of mankind. The work of the gospel is to unveil the eyes so that we might see and behold the glory of the goodness of Jesus Christ crucified on our behalf. That is the ministry of the saints. To enter into this battle between Satan and the church and to declare the gospel, to go into the places where people live deceived. Our communities, our country, all across the world. It is our goal. That's the, be- that's, that's the beauty of packing shoeboxes. It's not because kids need squirt guns. It's because kids need to see, to see past the deception of Satan and to have their eyes open to the beauty of the gospel that they might have something a little bit better than squirt guns, eternal life. This is the ministry that we participate in. This is the purpose of packing a bag with a turkey and mashed potatoes and going to somebody's house and saying, we just want you to know you're loved and we wanted to bless you. It's because that, that, is, that is the work of the ministry of the gospel. So verse 10 says, then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have now come. The salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have now come. Because the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God day and night, that's what he does. He is deceiving the world and he is accusing the saints. He is accusing believers in Christ. He has been thrown down. He has been thrown down. Satan may accuse us, but ultimately Jesus vindicates us. Satan accuses us before God. Satan works overtime to convince us and more so to convince God who has the power, the power to grant salvation that we are not worthy. And that we, we just as he, he accused of Job, that Job only was faithful to God because God had given him good things. So the same accuser makes the same accusations about us. Take away this and they'll no longer follow you. Take away that, they'll, they'll no longer be faithful to you. He is the accuser of the church. But though Satan accuses, Jesus vindicates. Listen, to that. with that in mind, with the reality that Satan is constantly seeking to bring accusation against God's people and seeking to convince us that we have not been saved and sealed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, with that in mind, listen to Romans chapter eight, verse 31 through 34. It says, what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Listen to verse 33. Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? 
God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the, is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. And so you have here Satan hurling accusations at the throne of God regarding his people. And you have God, the one who justifies, defending us. And you have Jesus, the one who was crucified so that we could be called righteous, interceding on our behalf. Satan's accusations are completely powerless before God. Every accusation that he brings is met with the justification that God gives to his people by faith. Every accusation that he hurls towards the throne of God falls at the foot of the cross because Jesus Christ was crucified on your behalf. God will not punish those whom Jesus died to save. That's the gospel. Therefore, you'll see on the handout, uh, this, uh, this could be confusing because one of the points starts with therefore. That was just a transition word I was using. The next one starts with our victory on the handout. Our victory is found in three things. The blood of Jesus, the word of our testimony, and our refusal to love this life more than Christ. How do we overcome the accuser? How do we overcome the deceiver? How do we overcome the one who attacks God's people day and night? Wait till we get to scene three. You'll see why I say that. We overcome in three ways. Through the blood of Jesus, the word of our testimony, and our refusal to love this life more than Christ. Chapter 12 is probably the most important chapter in all of the book of Revelation. And chapter 11 is probably the most important verse in all of the book of Revelation. It says this, they conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony for they did not love their lives to the point of death. When you read the totality of Revelation, 22 chapters of woes and wrath and destruction and deception and war and you think all of these things are either taking place or will take place, how do we stand? How do we survive? How do, how do, how do, how do we make it through all of this? Three things. They conquered him by the blood of the lamb that's the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Last week we took communion as a remembrance that Jesus poured out his blood. I know it's, it's if, you're, if, you're not, if you haven't been around church a long time, that's kind of, it's kind of gross. It's kind of, it's kind of obscene language. We, we say we're, we're drinking his blood, but we're not really drinking blood. It's just, it's Welch's grape juice or, or you know, market choice or whatever, something, you know. But it, it's what it symbolizes. It's a reminder to us of this, that our victory is the blood of Jesus. Our, our salvation flows from his veins. Our hope 
of eternal life hinges upon the crucified Savior. So they conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they did not love their lives. The word of their testimony, holding, holding fast to our profession of faith in the gospel. Holding fast to the things that we proclaim as true. And then thirdly, not loving this life more than Christ. Those who love this life more than Jesus will be weeded out. You will be sifted out. If you love this life more than you love Jesus, something in this life will cause you to turn from Christ. So this is what we do. We conquer by the blood of the lamb, the word of our testimony, and by not loving our lives more than Christ. Therefore, this is the therefore in the handout, be alert. Verse 10 tells us that the accuser, the, the dragon, the serpent, has been thrown down from heaven. And so verse 12 says, therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. This is good news in heaven. He's gone. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you with great fury, because he knows his time is short. The front line shifted after the cross. The front line, which was once in heaven, is now here on earth. And you're on it. You're on the front line of this battle between Satan and God's people. So you better know how to conquer him. You better know how to plead the blood of the lamb. You better have a faithful word of testimony and you better not love your life to the point of death. Otherwise, you will lose. The front line is now here. Woe to the earth and, and the sea because the devil has come down to you with great fury because he knows his time is short. We are in a spiritual battle. It is a vicious war to the death. We must know how to win. You see why verse 11 is so important? Verse 11 is so important because if you want to if you want to come out on the other side of everything in the book of Revelation and you want to be one of those around the throne of God singing praise to him because of the salvation that he has granted and you want to be one of those who escape the second death, which is still to come here in the book of Revelation, if you want to avoid being thrown in to the lake of fire which has been prepared for Satan and his re rebellious army, then you better know how to overcome. You better understand the importance of the blood of the lamb, the word of your testimony, and what it means to not love your life to the point of death. Scene three. This never happens to me. I never, I never get this far in and go, I have no idea what time it is. Uh, I'm always watching the clock. I'm pacing myself. I don't know, I, scenes one and two, I got so caught up that I go, oh, it's 10 o'clock. All right, so we're gonna move quickly, but I don't wanna, I, but we're, we have time. There's, there's no rush. Um, you're, you're here, oh, okay, take a break, Sean. I mean, whatever, <laughs> this is fine. Okay. <laughs> Just kidding. 
All right, scene three. The dragon's war against the woman and her offspring. The dragon wars in scene one against the son, a battle that he does not win. And then and he, he wars in scene two against Michael and his angels. There's this war in heaven. And now, once again, the scene revolves around the war that the dragon is waging, but this time against the woman and her offspring. Verse 13, when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that she could fly from the serpent's presence to her place in the wilderness where she was nourished for a time, times, and half a time. That's weird language. I said earlier, we would come back to the 1,260 days. This is when we're coming back to it. A time, times, and half a time is probably the same time stamp or time designation as 1,260 days. That's roughly three and a half years. And so maybe the 1260 and the time, times, and half a time refer to a literal three and a half year period. Remember, if you go back to week one, we talked about there's different ways of interpreting and seeing the language of Revelation. Some of it so, some, some views take things more literally, some things t- views take them more figuratively, some views mix both and say some things are literal and some things are figurative. And so if you're, if you're gonna take a literal interpretation, listen, only one of them is right, but we don't know which one. <laughs> but if you're gonna take the literal interpretation, this is three and a half years. And so, so maybe this is three and a half years. Maybe there's also a reason to believe that the 1,260, that each day represents a year. So this is actually 1,260 years. There's a day-year principle that, that people will point to in Scripture. Um, the, you know, the whole thing with a, a day is like 1,000 years and, and that thing, there's, there's sometimes time becomes relative in Scripture, okay? Here's what we know for sure. This is definitely a limited period of time. <laughs> Whether it's three and a half years or 1,260 years, it's a limited, finite period of time. And why is that important? Because during this time, Satan is waging war against the woman. And we know that he will not have the power, he will not have the ability to wage war forever. But here's what you need to know From scene three, on your handout, it says, Satan is furiously waging war against faithful followers of Jesus. He's furiously waging war. You go back to scene two. He knows his time is short. Verse 15 says, from his mouth, the serpent spewed water like a river flowing after the woman to sweep her away with a flood, but the earth helped the woman. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the river that the dragon had spewed from his mouth. So the dragon was furious with the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. Those who keep the commands of God and hold firmly to the testimony about Jesus. So there's an important transition to notice here. The, the, the serpent, the dragon gets frustrated in his war against the woman and shifts the attention of his attacks to the rest of her offspring. And that's us. 
We are the rest of her offspring. We are the spiritual offspring of faithful Israel who brought forth the Savior. It's defined here as those who keep the commands of God and hold firmly to the testimony about Jesus. And so now the, the, Satan is waging war against all of God's people. First Peter 5, 8, and 9 warns us of such. Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. Satan is a destroyer. He is a devourer. This, the, this idea that some non-believers, non-Christians have that Satan is the cool guy and that hell's gonna be the fun place. That's part of his deception. There's nothing fun about being cast out of the presence of God for all of eternity. Furthermore, Satan is not in charge of hell. Satan is there to be punished and he will be punished along with all who are there. He comes to devour and to destroy. He makes no exceptions. You cannot pledge allegiance to Satan and think that he will spare you. He will not. So be sober-minded. Be alert. Resist him. And remember, verse 11 of chapter 12, they conquered him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, for they did not love their lives to the point of death. Brothers and sisters, we stand by the blood of the lamb. We win through the word of our testimony and we must not love our lives more than Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for revealing through revelation <laughs> the truth that we are in the midst of a spiritual war, a war which has been, run, which has been won by Jesus Christ on the cross, risen from the grave on the third day, and ascended to the throne of God 40 days later. The war has been won, but the battle rages on. May we take seriously these truths. May we, may we see the necessity of clinging closely to the gospel, to the word of truth, to the blood of the lamb which saves our souls. May we be faithful in our testimony May our lives bear witness to the gospel in every way on every day. And may we set our sights on the life that you have promised us in eternity, so much so that we would not love these lives more than we love our Savior, Jesus Christ. We ask these things in his name. Amen.